0: Let us pray. Guide us, guide us, great Jehovah, into your way for us and for each one of us. Thank you for your presence among us and with us, in every change, every challenge, and every triumph, great or small. And thank you for your word, stories of your faithfulness, and what it looks like for us to be faithful to you. Even now, everlasting God, breathe, speak, and incarnate your word among us, as we hear it read and preached, and as we ponder it in our own hearts. Then stir us to get up and do something about it. Amen. Our message today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter chapter four. Hear these words. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: So, um, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think back to that storm. That, that particular hurricane or tropical storm. I, if you've lived uh, here on the southeast Texas coast uh, for at least, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, you have a story, don't you? You have a story. It might be Ike. It might be Alicia. It might be Katrina. It might be Allison. It might be Harvey. You're, you're reading my notes. I was working up to it, right? Alicia, I was trying to catch the older folk. Anyways. Why don't you go back to that story? Do you remember that story? I remember particularly Tropical Storm Allison. Now granted, I've been doing ministry for 23 years on the Texas coast, and so feel like I've been a lot a part of all of those. But Tropical Storm Allison, I remember we were in Bel Air. Um, we were told that Bel Air was so fancy it wouldn't flood. Um, <laughs> I didn't believe them, and so I'd stayed up that night. We had just driven in from the woodlands. Uh, We'd done a wedding uh, rehearsal uh, for my childhood best friend's little sister. Um, The next day, we were headed back up to the woodlands for the ceremony itself. Uh, It rained horrible, but this was a tropical storm. I mean, I was born in Florida, and then we moved to Houston. I know a little bit about hurricanes. You don't get excited about tropical storms. Uh, And so I'm sitting in my chair, um, watching the TV at midnight, um, trying to figure out what the radar looks like. And it looks bad. It's bad enough I don't want to go to bed yet. I fall asleep in the chair. At three in the morning, my phone rings. It's the Bel Air City Works Department. They had heard that our church had trained to be a Red Cross shelter. Now, the truth is we trained, but the Red Cross told us it would be a weird day when pigs fly, that they'd actually activate us because we were so close to the coast. And so I said, yeah, we've trained. He says, good. I need your team to open up in an hour. And I said, great, I'll be there. I lived like five miles from the church, I walked outside and from my front doorstep all the way across the street to the other front doorstep was water. I walked back inside and thought, huh, how are you gonna do this one, Peter? And that's when the phone rang again. And it was the same guy from the city works department at Bel Air. And he says, you just figured out you can't get there. (laughs) And I said, yeah, he says, good he says, um, listen for a moment. And I said, okay. He says, do you hear that loud truck that sounds like a a garbage truck? I said, uh uh-huh. He says, you're going to get in it and we're going to take you to the church. That was our high water vehicle. We worked all morning, uh, opening up the Red Cross shelter, welcoming our neighbors, um, doing all those things that you do in a time of suffering and difficulty. Um, and by about 11 o'clock, it got apparent that we needed to get in the car and drive north to the Woodlands so that I could you know, officiate at the wedding for my best friend's little sister. Well, we weren't really paying attention to how much water had fallen. We just thought it was a local event because it was just a tropical storm. And I remember um, getting out the key map, anybody remember key maps before GPS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And trying to figure out which one was the highest highway that went north. And we ended up, um, this is fancy because back in those days you didn't pay for toll roads, or at least not in my family. Um, And so we paid for the hardy toll road because it was the highest one. And all along the way there were people on the shoulder because it was the highest part in their neighborhood. We get to the woodlands and there's no power at the church. Um, And the florist didn't deliver the flowers, and the bride is in tears, until I walked into the room and she says, oh, at least we can get married now. (laughs) And I was like, you may be putting more um, credibility on me than you really want to. And what we found out is that it was okay without power, you you know, because we put candles on the altar. Um, And it was okay without florists because um, the, the bride and groom before them said, hey, why don't we leave our flowers and you use them for your wedding? They can do more good here than someplace else. And so we had a wedding in the dark, the night after Tropical Storm Allison. And it was an amazing moment to realize that even in the center of the storm, good can happen. Our scripture passage today um, starts with, on that day. I love Mark. Mark doesn't waste any words on uh, flamboyant uh, introductions. He says, on that day, And what an auspicious day it was. It was a a day of teaching and healing. It was a day like many others' days. It was a day where people experienced Jesus and said yes to this relationship with the living God. But it was also, I imagine, for Jesus, an exhausting day. I imagine for his disciples, it was tiring. I mean, they had worked hard, worked so hard that Jesus suggests that we get in the boat and we head out across the lake. This was, um, um, this was biblical times uh, crowd control, or I guess we could say social distancing. You got in the boat and you went out in the water because the crowds can't follow you then. And you can get away from the pressure of the moment. Jesus didn't say any elaborate farewells. There was no ritual goodbyes. There was no gifts given. He turns to his disciples and says, Let's blow this pop stand. And off they went. And then in the middle of crossing the lake, which, you know, sometimes we um, liken the lakes in scripture to like the great lakes, um, but I think you have to think a little bit smaller. Still big, still something that a storm can pop up at the last minute, and a storm does. And, and the storm is different than other storms, right? You have to remember that the disciples, most of them, were fishermen, right? This is not a three-hour tour headed towards Gilligan's Island. These are seasoned sea men headed out with their teacher. You also get the feeling that this is not just a storm. There is something malevolent. There is something destructive here that's happening. The one indicator that we get from Jesus when he finally wakes up is that he says, peace, be still, which are the same Greek words that Mark has him using when he casts out demons earlier in this particular book of the Bible granted i know if you go and look it up the english is going to say be quiet come out of her but but no it really is the same greek right peace be still mark is telling us that there may be something evil about this storm i don't know about you but we we've become accustomed to being visited by evil in this world It seems as if in the midst of the COVID pandemic, in the midst of all the restrictions, uh, that there has been a polarization of our culture, that we've become angry about things that seem somewhat insignificant, and that um, uh, the divide between... what is it? Martin Luther King said that the most uh, segregated hour of the week was 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and it hasn't changed since then. If anything, it's become aggravated and more evil and difficult. We are accustomed to evil, we are accustomed to storms brewing up in our lives. I, for a moment at staff meeting on Monday where we read scripture of what's going to be preached on on Sunday, I made a joke that isn't it interesting that there's a storm in the Gulf and we're gonna be preaching on storms. Nobody in the staff meeting laughed. <laughs> kind of like really none of y'all laughed. <laughs> but we've, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves by talking about the storm just yet. But, because to be honest, that this story is not about the storm. The story is not about the storm popping up and blowing in. It's not a story about traveling across the lake. The story is not about the storm. The story is about Jesus. And as you read the passage, right, what do the disciples do? Jesus is asleep in the bow of the ship, and the disciples go to wake him. Do you notice that they do not say, Jesus, Jesus, Help us, but rather the text says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, J- Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? I mean, the logic here for the disciples, this is like asking the bird why it flies. This is like uh, doubting whether um, the cow can move. This is like all of those things wrapped up into one. If you were to define what Jesus is about, he is concerned that we are perishing and his life is here to be an example for us. So the story isn't about the storm. The story is about Jesus And so Jesus jumps up, right? They wake him up. Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind and the rain. Those are not nice words, right? Um, you know, there what was it chicken little a number of years ago where the um, chicken little encounters the aliens and the alien uses his big mean uh, parent voice, his dad voice. Do you anybody tracking here? Right. Um, and then the, the, the alien wife says, are you using your big voice? And he's like, oh, no, I'm not using my big voice. Right. Jesus is using his big voice here. He's rebuking the wind and the waves saying, peace, be still. And his rebuke is not over because then he turns towards the disciples and he, he kind of jumps down their throat. He's essentially saying, have you still no faith? For the time that we have been together, have you not figured it out yet that even the wind and the waves are subject to my authority? Now, if you did a little extra Bible study beforehand, you'd come to realize the paragraph beforehand is a whole discussion about parables and mysteries, right? And riddles. Uh, That's to everybody else. But then the last part of that paragraph is, but to the disciples, he explained everything. Now, who knows whether that paragraph comes the day before they're here out on the lake with the storm, but I'm willing to go with it so being having been explained everything by Jesus, they find themselves in the storm and they panic. Jesus asks them, Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And I think that's probably a place where we enter the story. I think it's easy when we see the cone of inevitability. (laughs) That's not the right word. Um, What is it when they have the cone and it's the storm's coming to us, the the kind of predictable path, right? Yeah, it's easy. I don't know about you, but like, uh, you know, my heart catches in my stomach, right? Because I know, I mean, we've all lived through it, right? Whether it's mucking out or whether it's uh, without power for two months or whether it's uh, rebuilding uh, our homes or whether it's um, having to live away for a while until it's safe to come back. Um, When I pastored in uh, Beaumont, uh, we had a um, a storm come through after um, uh, Katrina Uh, and Rita and it was a small storm it was nothing to get too excited about but everyone evacuated and it was really slow for them to come back and so I started calling my church members hey y'all all all right you know I'm hoping you're coming back and um, they said yeah we just didn't want to come back so soon and I said why and they said because we get a panic attack as we come over the bridge there towards um, Beaumont I get it right In that moment of fear, sometimes faith gets lost, right? Because a faith is the belief in things unseen, right? We kind of need something to see in front of us, something to assure us that it's gonna be okay, someone who we can trust in, who will provide. And that's the eerie part of the story. I often think that if I was in the Bible story, I would do differently, right? If I'm in the boat and Jesus is asleep in the bow, I may have to be cautioned by Jesus to not take so many risks, right? But instead here, the disciples are saying, do you even care that we're perishing? Do you even care? And what I think is beautiful about the end of the story is that they find themselves In awe, right? Verse 41, And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey? What happens to us? Is it that in our panic, in our fear, we forget are we like the disciples when quickly, when things get difficult, when our boat is swamped, when the waves are coming, that we lose our trust in life? We lose our trust of hope. We lose our trust in him. Do we give up or is there something else? Is there a, another option? Is there another pathway? I, I think it's interesting um, that if we are to claim our faith, we may also have to cling to Jesus. I think these two words go together. If we're going to claim our faith, then we should cling to Jesus. Now, um, I have a 17-year-old daughter who I love uh, wonderfully and deeply and who our life project, much like you when you were raising a teenager, is to get to the point where she is on her own, right? Right? Pray with me on her own, right? And so it is easy. For the longest time, when my daughter was young, she clung to my leg, much like I saw Clara May clinging to Anthony's leg. But if we are to claim our faith and cling to Jesus, it feels opposite because we are encouraging children to go be mature, solve your problems on your own. I never hear Jesus say those words to us think, you know, to claim our faith, we must cling to Jesus. Clinging to Jesus even in the midst of the wind and the waves. Clinging to Jesus in the midst of our own storm and our own moments. Even though we know that our life may not be getting any easier, but the thing that makes the difference is that we have chosen to claim our faith and to cling to Jesus. And so that when the worst of storms come, We know that he is the one who can calm the wind and the waves, that he is the one that all is under his authority. And so in those moments, we cling to Jesus. We cling to Jesus because we've chosen together as a community to do so. I was told in a seminary by one professor that you should never refer to the Bible as my Bible. It's not my, not my, the first person possessive. I'm sorry, English teachers, I'm not very good at grammar, right? That first person possessive pronoun, my, should never be said about the Bible because it is ours. And so if we have claimed our faith together and we are clinging to Jesus together, then together we should remind each other we have made this commitment together. And I think that's the beauty of what do we do? Having witnessed the one who can calm the waves and still the wind, how might we tell others about what's happened to us? Sometimes we look for the miracle and become obsessed by it or the absence of it. I think what's better is for us to uh, recognize the ways in which God has provided for us, all the storms that have already come, that when we look at the next storm that's coming, we can say with confidence, I know the one who calmed the storm. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. We've lost, uh, I think, the great tradition of telling testimonies. John Wesley would have people in one community write out a letter of testimony to what God had done in their life, and he would carry that letter to the next community because there's Likely that uh, a single mother in the first community um, doesn't have any other single mothers to support her. And so she writes how God has supported her and Wesley brings it to another single mother who can read again about how God has provided. That these testimonies were less about bragging about what God has done for us, but rather reminding the community of what it means to serve a God who stills the winds and calms the waves. So friends, time to tell some stories. Time to claim our faith. I I honestly believe though um, many of my colleagues say this is a poor interpretation of John Wesley. um, I believe John Wesley would say, fake it till you make it. Like jump and know that God's gonna catch you even if you got a little bit of doubt. You see, with Jesus, doubters were never the problem. He never um, uh, rubbed their nose in it. He never grounded out on them if they doubted what was possible, really. The ones that he had problems with was those who knew the right and couldn't stand up for it. So, claiming our faith, making it till you make it, clinging to Jesus, not just alone, but together, And remembering that the stories that we tell make a difference because some people who never knew that Jesus could still the wind and the waves might learn it because of the testimony that you told. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.